what I would recommend is to start with a designer before a product manager. I think it's easier to know if a designer is high quality and assess them. It's really hard to assess product managers without working with them. Start with a designer. That'll be, you know, they can take on some of the product role. I think after that, hire a QA person or somebody who's really like has that QA background to do a lot of product testing and like make sure that the product is high quality. And then potentially, I was just presume you'd hire some folks in the support and success side anyway, but I think start to put a framework in place so that the first product manager can be more successful because they have a sharper focus and they have the supporting people around them who also can educate them. And it's not about the co-founder working with the product manager trying to do like a one-way transfer of information. There's more of a network of people Hi, I'm Jason Evanish, and this is the Practical Product Podcast. We're here to give you all the tactics and approaches you need to be a great product manager. And today we have a special guest. It is Pulkit Agrawal. He is the co-founder and CEO of Chameleon, the most sophisticated product adoption platform, which he's been working on for over seven years now. He studied engineering at Cambridge in the UK, but now lives in Oakland, California. He is passionate about user experience and enjoys psychology, philosophy, and meditation and watching Liverpool FC. And today, we're talking about the challenges of the first PM. If you've seen the blog post that I wrote years ago, you know that there's this interesting challenge where when you're hired as the first product manager, sometimes it doesn't work out. And what's interesting about it though, is it's kind of nobody's fault and everybody's fault at the same time. In that companies learn a lot from the experience, the first PM often learns a lot. And so you actually wanna be what we call the second first PM. And so what's great is Pulkit and I met years ago and he happened to literally post a few days ago before we're recording this, talking about the fact that they just experienced this. And so we're going to be doing two episodes on this topic. First, from the company perspective, talking with Pullkit today. And then later, we're going to have a PM who has been a first PM multiple times, just like I have, talking about that perspective, because we want you to understand how this works on both sides. So Pullkit, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, great to be on here and happy to chat about this topic. I think it's uh, hopefully be insightful for all folks who are looking to be product managers or considering early stage companies. But yeah, excited to share and, and be here with you. Awesome, great. So set the stage for us. When did you start looking for your first PM? What was kind of, what was the circumstances at your company? What made you think, you know what? I think it's time we maybe hire somebody. So for context about our company, we have had a pretty much self-serve motion, which is like build the product, Anyone can sign up, buy it on their website, and no kind of sales motion around it. I think uh, a few years in, we realized like, okay, the product obviously had to keep improving, but that we need, did need to add a more focused go-to-market motion around it, which in our case is a sales-assisted motion. So people can still come to the website, sign up, but in some cases, we'll coach them through how to be more effective with Chameleon and answer their more specific questions around use cases or technologies that they're looking to implement with. So. As we were adding that, we realized that I needed to be the person that was going to lead the sales motion and think about sales and think about how do we close bigger deals. At that point, the product had already, it was like a, there was some product market fit. The product was built. We were winning some deals against other competitors or people were choosing us over alternatives. We did have a crowded space. And so it's not like we're the only product in space. So people did have all options. And so it felt like at that point, we'd got the basics sufficient 
And it was about improving quality of the product, looking at prioritizing where there were gaps and how to cover it more effectively, and also build some more system around how do we formalize collecting user feedback or road mapping. Until then, I, as the co-founder and CEO, was the main person running it. So as we needed to focus more on the go-to-market motion, as I needed to think about sales and build sales team and spend time on that, I thought it would be helpful to have a junior-ish product manager who could come in and execute on all of the core product management you know, needs and requirements. And while I could still be involved in some of the strategic thinking, road mapping, et cetera. So hopefully that sets the stage, but happy to kind of dive a bit further if, if you'd like. Yeah, sure. How big was the team at that point? Yeah, the team was about, I think, 10 to 12 people. We had half of those were probably engineers, including, you know, plus one designer, including my co-founder and CTO. And then the other half was a combination of everyone else, customer success and marketing, et cetera. Cool. And so when you started looking, was it a traditional kind of sourcing process of like creating a job description, posting to a lot of job boards and searching, or was it more of a network driven search for this person? This is a good question because this is highlight. This will highlight some of the differences I think between first and second. The first was a more typical situation where we wrote up a job description, we posted on a job board. We are a remote first team and have been pre-COVID, so you know we we ended up uh, using WeWork remotely, and then we got a bunch of applicants. We defined a process around the application form, and I can talk you through all that stuff as well. But yeah, we went. We basically put the job out like, hey, we're looking. Whoever finds, whoever's also looking, come find us. Cool. And so it sounds like then the second time you're looking now, you're going to be trying a bit of a different approach. I think so. I think we're going to, we're doing a bit of both. We have a job listing up on our page for anyone that does come across it and is interested, but we are making a lot more effort around this outbound or going and speaking to people that we know are experienced product managers, people who've, you know, we know have been in the space or are in SaaS. Because I think we're now indexing higher on prior experience than we previously were before. Our general approach, had, as we have been hiring lots of folks around the company, has been to index mostly on quality of work. And so for each process, we have like a, an activity or an exercise and some follow-up. And we index primarily on that in our previous application. But now we're trying to index a bit more on prior, prior experience. So thinking back to you know that first process you ran, what got you excited about the person that you ultimately hired? Was there something something that you felt like at the time you really needed that they they kind of excelled at, or how did you ultimately arrive at you know this is the person that's going to be our first PM? Yeah, we we as like other I guess engineering founders do we we tried to construct a very robust process, and, and it, what it was was that we had a few stages. So we had an application form. We had after that a first interview. We had a take home exercise. And then we had a follow-up debrief from the take-home exercise as an interview. And we scored each of those stages. Like there was like, oh, you know, for the take-home, there's like three pieces we're going to score out of 10. And then for the take for the application form, there's like all these questions, we're going to score them. And then that comes, comes to a total score of the candidate. So that, you know, we tracked it all in Airtable and it was like, okay, well, this candidate has a, you know, clearly much better score than other candidates. So and, and we feel good about like the ability like, to communicate with them, et cetera. So that was the person that we chose. I'm happy to talk about what specific pieces in that that they did really well too. Interesting. Okay. So so you tried to come up with like a robust rubric. And so I'm curious, like, were there, uh, was it a long list of traits or was there like a, a short list of traits that you were that you were judging people on and thought you were looking for most at the time? I think the thing that we spent the most energy on was this friction log exercise that we had 
people conduct, which was to go through a flow. And I think it was actually creating a custom Google map of their city with a few points of interest. And we asked them to do this and record all of the friction that they were facing in the product uh, and write that up and share that with us. And that was to basically try to test for UX. Like, are you able to understand what good UX is? Are you able to identify that? Now, our product is a product that helps other companies improve their user experience. And it's a product that sells to product managers. So for us, like user experience, scale and ability is paramount. So that's why we're like, okay, well, this exercise really tests that. And the person that does this the best is going to be one, um, you know, as long as they're diligent and, you know, meet some other traits uh, is going to be a really good fit for us. And so, so they went through and they, they nailed that experience as you were interviewing them, were there any voices in the back of your head or any concerns that they expressed during the interview process that maybe turned out to be prescient or, or proved to be bigger concerns than you guys maybe overlooked in the beginning? I think we kind of ignored background, like they didn't have SaaS experience. And we're like, oh, that's okay. And they had more like, they had some a variety of software experience. Some of it was more in teams that were constructed such that there was like an agile team and there was like a project manager with that team. So they were, they did some of those project management pieces really well. And then there was like a, you know, there was like, oh, well, they're, they've experienced project management, but they also have done a good job with UX. So we think we're covered. But I think in the end, it did end up being in a situation where this, the strengths of the candidate were more around the project managing piece and less about the intuitive news of like, wait, what is going on with product and how can we make our product generally better? And so that, that kind of brought a lot of structure to the process of pro doing product, a lot of like better documentation and systems and workflows, which was helpful in a way because it's like, okay, well, I'm doing it one way and maybe it's less formal. This candidate comes in and brings this. Then when they left, I had to go back into it. And that was pretty interesting because then it, it was another iteration of like, okay, well, now they've built this, like what of this do we keep and how do we make this better? And that, that was actually pretty good. But yeah, it was like, that's something that probably was somewhat evident in the interview process that we probably overlooked. Okay, cool. And so I guess once they actually started on the job, you know, would you say there was a honeymoon phase where, where things seemed pretty good and you were glad to have things off your plate? Or was it pretty apparent early on, like, oh, we didn't filter the right way or, or like maybe this isn't the, the right idea? Yeah, I think there definitely was a honeymoon phase and I think it worked well for a while. And I think part of that was just having some a full-time person available to think about product. And part of it is initially you're coaching them and you know they're learning and you see progress because they're learning and they're picking things up and you're just like, oh, this progress. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, they, they surface other thing improvements or like, let's do it this way. And you're like, great, there's an improvement to what I was doing before. So I think there is like natural progress, you know, as companies are people think about like success, it's like, yes, there, there will be, you know, unless it's a, it's a house on fire, like it's terrible, but generally there, there was progress, but it, it's that the harder one is like thing to assess is like, is it great or is it like good and, or it's like better, but is it really great? And is there someone that's like a, a long-term success and is this person going to be eventual head of product or, you know, where's it, where's it going to go? Yeah. And did, did you find that was some of that also like momentum? Like, did you have kind of a roadmap you're able to give them like, hey, the next couple of months, we already know we want to do these things. Can you just execute on these? Or were they figuring out from day one what to build next? No, I think the, the what to build next is probably one of the hardest pieces of the job. So that's definitely not something that you we hand off like early or completely. 
but it's more like, okay, this is already planned out of what to build. And it's more around, let's do the execution pieces of like, get familiar with what these features are about, help with spec writing, make sure you're testing. Testing is like a, a good place to begin because you're, you know, get someone familiar with the product and the process. So it never really was about like just deciding what to build in, but there were components of, can you help collate feedback and help us surface the things that are problematic or that we should focus on? So yeah, and I think that you know even that can be hard because there's a lot of context to get to all the feedback, and then you know how to surface that well. Like that, there's in itself a, a challenging problem or process, and maybe we let that be too open ended in itself, um, and could probably be more structured around what kind of feedback to 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 how to structure the feedback so they could execute on that. Okay, so if I understand it right, though, it sounds like there was definitely some like they had a little bit of a guide on like what you wanted to do on like next couple of features to build so they could like it sounds like you know you said their strength was on like project management and so it sounds like they got to really shine on that project management early on because maybe a couple of the first couple projects were sort of scoped out already and so they could just execute on them as opposed to the bigger picture vision stuff which you said maybe in retrospect they didn't have as much well i think i think this would apply to any candidate whether even if they're amazing product manager that it's just not reasonable to like expect them to and even if it's a strength of theirs to figure out road mapping it's not reasonable to expect them to come in and start defining what should be built next you know, within even probably three to six months, because I think there's so much context that that will take time to build up. So I think it's less to do with their strengths, but that's just the way, you know, it, it played out is that, you know, we focused mostly on getting systems working more effectively, more efficiently, picking up what's already there and improving that and iterating on that, which is part of the way that we expect people to do is look at what's there and improve it rather than come and try and rip it apart and do the new thing. And that did align with their strengths. And so that's why it kind of did feel like it was working out well in, in the beginning. Cool. And so when did you first start thinking that things maybe weren't working out? Like what, what happened? I think it, it wasn't, I think it was more like the curve didn't accelerate in the way that we would have hoped versus like, oh, it started going badly. And I think the, the way it felt or looked was that I felt like I still needed to be involved in many of the UX decisions and the like product decision-making. And so I didn't feel like I could step away and uh, fully trust this person to make all the decisions. And so then it kind of felt like, well, I was still like doing some product work anyway. It wasn't like fully aware away from it. And then when you're half doing it and someone's half doing it, then there's like that clash of like communication and you have to be even more on the same page. And there's like the friction of having two people doing the same similar thing. So, and then I think it's probably not a fun experience for the first you know, the PM side of things to not feel like fully trusted um, and to feel like they have, maybe have to second guess themselves or, or loop in the co-founder probably feels like the co-founder isn't like letting letting go of control. And, you know, that's it, I can I can empathize or sympathize with that feeling. And that's probably what also led to a mutual kind of understanding of like, hey, this is probably not, you know, so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you remember like how many months in did this start to kind of really rear its head and you started to recognize it? Like I said, I think it was like a slow, you know, slow feeling. And I think it like, it didn't really, I think the expectations after six months of like, oh, we can, I could have handed off more than I anticipated, like didn't come to fruition, but it, it wasn't like a burning issue, which is like, okay, well, maybe this is the way it is. And like, I'm going to stay more involved. And um, it was also like the first time we we're hiring the first PM, you know, so it's like a hard to like benchmark against like, what, what, what should we expect? Um, and how quickly should, you know, should the handoff be? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's an interesting journey to see like how that kind of growth and responsibility happens because I think especially for founders who do care a lot about product, like you today you're wearing a product like growth hat. So clearly it's a little bit on your mind. 
both literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, but knowing that that's the case, I think it's like, it's especially important and challenging to kind of let go of that. Like I remember, you know, when I was working with Heat and the Kiss Metrics, it's like, you know, we had so many conversations about the product and his vision and stuff. And it took time to build his confidence. But I remember actually explicitly having him having a conversation with him where I'm like, do you trust me to make product decisions? And he told me yes, which was awesome and reaffirming. But like, that was a journey. That was a process where, you know, it started out with, it started out with me just trying to soak up everything he knew and then getting to a point where it was like, oh, actually this needs to flip and I need to make the founder feel heard, but ultimately also make the founder feel confident in how I make decisions. And I, I think that's definitely one of the steeper challenges for any PM, but especially a first PM who's working with a product-minded founder who they report to and who previously you know, had, had their involvement in everything. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like the way that you're framing it is to flip it and make the founder, the co-founder, the previous head of product, like the customer in a way of like making sure that their, you know, their needs are met. And then that gives you space to then do the other things that you care about doing. Absolutely. So when did you kind of get to a point where it was like, you know what, I, like, it's not just that like, this isn't as going as well as we hoped, but like, actually, maybe we need to part ways. You know, we were chatting before the episode started, and you said it was kind of mutual, you know, it wasn't awkward, like nobody rage quit, and nobody got fired, because they stole from the office closet or something like, it was much more of a mutual thing. So like, how did that develop? Like, what led to that? What I assume no matter what was a tough conversation? Yeah, I think, in fairness, the candidate or, or our teammate decided like hey, it wasn't working out, and like I'm you know I'm not super happy, and uh, there's other things I want to do. And initially, it was like unexpected for us because it was like wait, what? You know, we never not like to be rejected. But I think in fairness, as we reflected on it, we're like oh, this is probably good for both parties and probably help us all grow. And so. In, in some ways, like hats off because it's hard to make a change when, you know, things are just like kind of okay. But I think, you know, it, it, it's happened to us before where someone asks or suggests, you know, tells us that they want to leave. And it's like, in hindsight, it's like, yes, that makes sense because it wasn't a great partnership where you weren't being trusted or you weren't, you know, you're being micromanaged a bit and you weren't loving that. And we probably were doing it because we weren't loving the relationship. So I think that's why it kind of, it, it felt mutual and afterwards it kind of felt okay with it. But yeah, I think it was, it was good that the decision was made in the end. And I think it was prompted by our teammate. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess, how did you handle that transition? Then I assume right now you're going, I guess, essentially, cause you're looking to hire the next person. Like there's this window where are you putting the hat back on? Or are they like maybe contracting and helping you a little bit till that person comes in? Like, how are you handling that transition from first to second PM? Yeah, I actually put the hat back on. I was like, okay, like, let me do this again. And I think it was helpful because there was a bunch of stuff that I learned that was happening and what was set up. And it was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. This could work. And some of this was like, oh, this is annoying. This shouldn't happen. And so I think just like having a second set of, you know, it's almost like an iteration, you know, I handed it off, someone else did it. Then I came back to me. It was really helpful for us to evolve our processes and understanding. And then I think, you know, we, we haven't had a product manager for some time um, because we weren't, we kind of lost some confidence around knowing what to hire for and, and who to hire. And so we said, okay, we'll just do it, you know, between my co-founder and I. And then it's now evolved to a group role, which, you know, now we're looking for a different PM and hopefully we'll, we'll fix this, but it's a, it's now somewhat of a group role. So we have our engineering manager that defines like the specific, what's going to go on the sprints and who can work on what, like between me and our designer, we figure out like the, you know, what's coming up in the design next and like the immediate near-term roadmap. 
my co-founder and I think more about like the general roadmap for the you know quarter or year and what's going to be the focus that way. The designer and the lead QA person helps with writing the spec and they do some of the testing. So there's like we've we've kind of chopped up all these different responsibilities. You know, one of our like you know CSMs takes a lead on like rapid response bugs, and so we've chopped up all these responsibilities, which in some ways is good because everyone gets a feel of what the role involves, and they go beyond just their core job um, and have a wider appreciation for how product can work. But I think it is time now also to bring some of that together into a product manager role because the thing that you lose is all of the small stuff in the middle or in between, which is like how do we have a high quality product? There's like a little bit of feedback here, or there's a little copy tweak here, or this is something that you know other people are facing. Let's get it together, or let's make the documentation robust. So you know, there's a there's just a cohesiveness is lost when you kind of split it up. And so that's why we feel the pain around like, okay, we need to have somebody else who can come and own this um, and maybe somebody a little bit more experienced or senior. But yeah, we're still in the you know, process of, of, of looking for that. Yeah. But I think you raise a really important point there. And like, I personally have experienced this where one of the challenges when you're first PM is you don't necessarily know how, how built out the rest of the team is. And so that can leave gaps around what you're trying to do. So like when I was a first PM and I was the first first PM and it didn't work out, one of the challenges I had was the fact that like there was no staff designer. So I had to work with contractors. They, when I joined, there were six engineers and a CTO, but the CTO didn't really like doing kind of the like project management side of things as much. So I basically had to project manage each individual engineer one-on-one. One -on -one. And so like there was all these supporting things that like I think a great PM needs those other teammates around him. It's like you can't win a basketball game playing three on five no matter how good you are, if you don't have some of the supporting cast, like you need a big man to get the rebounds, you need a three-point shooter you can dish it to, like you need all of those things to help you be at your best. And if you don't have those, you end up filling some of those gaps and then stuff's gonna drop or it's very easy to instinctually fall in it. Like, even I fell into the trap of doing too much project management because I was like, well, no one else is doing this. What am I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, why aren't you doing that? It's like, well, because there's only so many hours in the day and and like we don't have this other role. And then like for me at that job, I remember I finally hired us. I just literally was like, I'm just going to do it. So I wrote the job description. I interviewed everybody. I ran the process. I hired us a brilliant designer and I advocated for more help on project management. And so like ironically, my last month there was my best month because I had the tools and resources and people around me to actually then focus on what like I'm best at. And so having those resources is, is really interesting and helpful. And so I'm curious, when you think about these other people you listed off that were locked in now, were some of those hired since that your first PM came on board? Or was that same structure actually in existence when that first PM started? No, we did hire some of those folks. Or like, for example, the designer was, was we hired around about the same time as the PM and the, like the QA, you know, we've, had, we've got a second QA person now, we've made some changes in the engineering, we've hired more engineers, you know, things have grown up. But I, I think of it, you know, in terms of a when building a puzzle, like, you know, instead of the PM being the first piece you put down of like, okay, we're going to start here and build around it. We've kind of like built the rest of it now. And so like the PM can come in and fill the holes, which I think are really the core product work, which is like understand, you know, getting under, an understanding from customers about use cases and feedback and where do we need polish and where do we not need. So I think the role now is a very, very core product role rather than a generic, like bit of everything kind of role. 
which is, I don't know, when speaking to candidates, it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's they're like, well, you know, what, how do you run product? And I explain to the stuff to them. I'm like, yeah, what we need is like a core product manager. Like, it, you know, it's not like a, an analytics person that does a bit of product or it's not a user researcher that does a bit of product. It's like a, you know, really, really core product work. And hopefully, you know, they, they can, we can opt in on what of the other pieces they should do rather than it be back at like a default. So it's kind of like the default is like, well, there's already people doing all of this stuff anyway. So which of this makes sense for you to now take on and which, you know, can we let people continue to do so? Is your product team delivering the way you need them to? Are you shipping great product improvements at the frequency and quality you hoped? Becoming a great product manager does not happen by accident. It takes a lot of learning along with trial and error. And when you have product managers reporting to you, they need your guidance, even as the demands of running your company only grow. Unfortunately, things like coaching and teaching don't tend to fit on a founder or C-level executive's busy schedule like yours, even if you know your team members need it. Fortunately, I've been a founder and an early stage product leader for over 12 years. During that time, I've mentored and coached dozens of product managers. I can fill in the gaps you wish you had time for and help diagnose and fix the most common problems that plague underperforming product managers and teams. If you want to see if I can help you and your product team's challenges, go to becustomerdriven.com and sign up for a free call to discuss your needs and how I can help you. Again, that's becustomerdriven.com. I honestly, like, there's a part of me that thinks that, like, the whole first, first PM versus second, first PM situation, there's a part of me that actually kind of wonders, like, is it actually inevitable? Because, you know, what you're talking about, that first hire, they were filling a certain need that you had, and they were essentially a bridge until now you're ready to hire this next person. But it's like, you know, you talked about in the very beginning, the reason you wanted to hire this person is you were spread too thin, you needed to focus on sales, you needed somebody else to handle that. It's, you know, unfortunate, it, you know, it didn't work out. Everybody hopes every employee is going to be there for a very long time. But in many ways, it's like, it's a learning process and it happened. And I think like one of the things I'm hoping with like doing these two episodes of the podcast with the blog post I have that has been passed around a lot, you'd be, you'd be amazed how many DMs I get from people all the time for that post. I'm hoping we can normalize this where it's like, you know what, there are times where it's the right time for you and you want to take a chance and you go and you take one of these roles and it only lasts six months and it doesn't work out. But it's not a blemish on your resume. It's actually a, hey, I did a job. It was important, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to last because we were both going to learn things about ourselves that made it so that it was probably time to part ways. But like, I have a feeling that even looking back, maybe that bridge, you know, I'm sure you, like, I'm curious, like how much regret you have versus like, you know what, this worked out the way it was going to, going to have to. And like, we tried to t- treat everybody fairly. Like, I'm wondering how much it is that like the, these learning experiences and the stage your company is at, like, is it inevitable or do you feel like you have a time machine and you could have gone back and found the perfect hire and they would still be with you right now and they would fit into what is now the structure of your organization? I think if I think about it, like it, I think about it from like the, what's the risky approach and well, how do we de-risk it? And if I was to do it again, what I would recommend and I would to founders who are doing this now is to start with a designer before a product manager. I think it's easier to know if a designer is high quality and assess them. It's really hard to assess product managers without working with them. Start with a designer. That'll be, you know, they can take on some of the product role. I think after that, 
hire a QA person or somebody who's really like has that QA background to do a lot of product testing and like make sure that the product is high quality. And then potentially, I mean, just presume you'd hire some folks in the support and success side anyway, but I think start to put a framework in place so that the first product manager can be more successful because they have a sharper focus and they have the supporting people around them who also can educate them. And it's not about the co-founder working with the product manager trying to do like a one-way transfer of information. There's more of a network of people. So I think that's kind of probably what I would recommend. And maybe if we had that structure, this person or someone similar could have been more successful or somebody different could have been more successful. So I, I don't say I'm not a person to have too many regrets. I think it's like all a, a learning process. And we got to this insight because of, we've had to go through that journey. But if, you know, if I was starting a new company, you know, I'd probably start, you know, designer first and, and try to push the PM can keep PM can down the road a little bit longer. So, because it's just easier to hire for the other roles because you can assess quality, whereas the PM feels really hard to assess. Looking back at that, one of the challenges was, and this is often the reason that companies hire first, first PM, is the founder who's in charge of product starts feeling like they can't really handle all the responsibilities anymore. The, the team has grown. You know, It usually is that like 10 to 20 employee mark where they come in, and it's usually because of strain on one of the founders. And so, you know, we opened the show here with you talking about how you were feeling strained because of sales. So like, do you feel like, like bringing on a designer and maybe a QA person would, do you feel like that, like that would have taken enough off your plate that you could have basically for the last however many months or, or year or so that you had this first, first PM that you would have been able to continue to handle it as a, as a founder? Do you think that would have been enough? So I think like I've been handling it now with this like supported team and like it's not the perfect solution. We need to improve it. But I think if you can have someone that can own writing specs and someone that can own getting the stories into the sprint and out and tested and deployed, that can be really, really helpful and freeing up because one of the biggest issues is like you don't get to testing quickly and then engineers lose context because you're they're waiting a day or two to test something. And then it's like, then it slows everything down. So if you can fill that, and that's kind of why I was suggesting a QA person to like make sure that there's like good speed in testing. And then of course, a designer who can actually, you know, you do need a designer. There's no way you can operate building a product without a designer. <laughs> yeah, Contract designer, that's maybe it's too difficult because you don't have the quick turnaround. You don't have, they don't have enough contacts. Okay. So I think getting a designer in, and if the designer can do some spec writing, which actually I think is reasonable because they've done the design, they should be able to understand all the intricacies of the interactions and the edge cases and the different states. Then maybe that is not writing out a spec doc, but recording a loom video or some version of it, but a simple, like way to for them to write up like what is expected in the interface and the user experience then i think that frees up a lot of the time or the stress around the pm day-to-day -day work and so that i think that can allow you to get further cool that makes a lot of sense i mean it's essentially divide and conquer thinking about like what the job description is this time versus last time like what do you feel like now is like you know what the strengths of the product person i hire what do you feel like they have to have now like what are the superpowers you're really looking for in your candidate versus maybe what you thought you needed last time which was kind of more of just a jack of all trades who can get this off my plate yeah i think the thing we're looking for is somebody who is is has a really high quality bar for product and understands what a high quality product is so if you don't, if you've not worked with a high quality product, or if you've not in that world of like looking for issues with product, and you're just like a, someone that's always like looking for these things and understands patterns, I think it'll be hard because we, I can't, 
I don't want to be teaching you to be high quality. Like that should be like the thing. And if you're high quality, I think that raises the bar or makes your prioritization help ha happens or focus is better or like the specs are more complete or like we're doing more research. Like all of that stuff that we're looking for will fall out of it. But we just, we want someone who's, we can test like they know about building high quality products or they have experience with building high quality products. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think builds on like, you know, originally you were kind of thinking about the UX and friction thing. And this feels like this is taking that to another level where it's like, no, we don't want to just think a little bit about UX. We want them to be uh, setting a quality standard across all the stuff they're doing and as they interact with other teams, which is like kind of a, a sounds like a leveled up version of that. Yeah, I think so. I think like this kind of the UX friction falls into that, which is like, if you, if you have yeah, built, part of it. yeah, it's a part of it, but it's not, it's not a replacement for assessing that quality. And so, yeah, I think, and I think that it's hard to know that it's hard to figure that out. And I, I would love any, anyone who has insights on how to test for it and assess it. But one of the proxies is like, what are the products you've worked on and how high quality are they? So it's unfortunate because I feel as we're going backwards in some way from like this focus of evaluating based on your you know, the thing, the outputs during the application process to doing some evaluation based on your resume, which I don't generally love, but you know, it's, I think it's a, it is a hard thing to test for. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, show versus tell is always, is always better. And I cer certainly applies it. I mean, I know in my career, there's been a lot, a lot of the big steps I've taken have been based on being able to show something previously or create something new that proves it. Because like, for instance, you know, I think when you look at product managers, like you were talking about like a really great product spec and like, you know, all these other really great things where it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so I think that like sometimes even you can just look and see like, hey, you know, did they throw together a Google Doc in five minutes and it's got like no formatting, no heading and all everything's the same font size? Or, you know, for the assignment, did they take the time to maybe give it a proper cover page and you know, just little detail things of like, oh, they understand fonts and readability. So they made their headers 18 point font, subheaders 16 point font, and all the text is 12. And so it's like, you can skim and scan it. Like those sorts of little things often actually don't take a lot of time. But like, if you're willing to take the time to do that, there's a pretty good chance you'll do so many other things, just like your UX friction test kind of judges their eye for things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think in, in some ways, we, you know, it's almost like presenting them with more of a blank slate and then assessing how they do that versus like too much structure where you're like, oh, fill out this sheet. And then you like, you know, they don't have to get a chance to have to show them some of the other skills. So thinking about kind of the second time now that you have the, the job rec out for number two and you're kind of working your network, how are you thinking about changing your hiring process the second time? Because like you said, you, you know, and you and your co-founder really engineered that last one. How are you thinking about the the interview process the second time based on, I guess, what you learned the first time around? Yeah, I think it's also slightly different because when, we, when you're outbounding, it's like, it's different. You can't be like, hey, go, go fill out this long application form. So I think there's a lot more of like jumping on first calls and assessing like, hey, do you have a sense of what this could involve and what's your experience? So I think it'll be a little bit more interactive. It'll be also a little bit longer, I think. Then you know we tried to turn it around very quickly previously, but we were like, oh, we're, we're looking for a product manager. Let's get all the applications in. You know, week one and two. Let's do all those reviews. Weeks three and four. Let's make an offer of week five and six. You know, and close it. So, so it was a bit more like regimented that way. I think now we're like, it's okay. We're not. We're not going to assess every candidate against themselves because that's not the need, the way that we need, know we need to assess. Previously, it was like, well, this is our full set. Let's find the best. Now we're like, okay, we kind of know what we're looking for. 
if we find them and there's only three people that have applied, that doesn't matter. We don't need to wait for like 20 other people to apply. Or if it's like 20 people have applied and none of them are a great fit, it doesn't matter. We're going to keep looking. So I think it's like a, it's a, it's slightly different in that way. And I think part of that, we have that flexibility because product is kind of being run anyway right now, even though I know our team is screaming for us to have a product manager because they, they all want to build an even better product. And I think everyone feels like it will help, but yeah. So I think that will, there's some, some changes there around uh, the hiring for the second, but we're still evolving. It's something that we've continued to evolve our recruiting process and application process. So I'm sure there's some lessons to still be learned. What advice, like I, I think zooming out, we are like, I'm calling the podcast practical product because we're trying to be really practical. I, I think one of the things that frustrated me early in my career was you could read endless blog posts about like high level theory and concepts. And yet they wouldn't tell you how to actually do it. Like I know so many people who tell PMs, they make their list of like five books they should read. And one of them is Eric Reese's The Lean Startup. And I personally hate that book with the, with the passion of a thousand sons because you read it and you're like, I just read like 295 pages of like, go talk to people. And there's literally nothing in the book about how to go talk to people. And so it's like, great. You you know, you get a bunch of people who are happy to pay lip service to a concept. But they don't know how to do it. And so with the Practical Product Podcast, with all the blog posts I've written in the past, like the goal is to really give people some actionable things they can do. So the last couple of questions I, I want to ask you is kind of like, let's look at the two sides of the table, the first PM and the, the company thinking about hiring their first PM. So kind of reflecting on your experience, some of the stuff we talked about today, what advice would you give to a founder thinking about hiring their first PM? What, you know, what should they look out for? What should they be thinking about that might trip them up or lead to bringing on the wrong person? Yeah, so I think we already covered some around, you know, when they should think about hiring a first PM. You know, I'd recommend like hiring a designer or a QA person first. I think it, when you're actually in that process of hiring that PM, some things that I would recommend that folks do is to see if somebody can understand the higher picked, a higher picture. Well, it kind of depends how senior you're looking, but if, for our case, if we're looking for somebody who can graduate to head a product or wants to be head of product, you know, they need to have some level of strategic understanding of a product. So discussing like the strategy around a product decision that's been made in the market, like, oh, like, let's say, you know, let's pick Lyft and Uber and how they did something differently. Like, why do you think they did it differently? So getting a sense of, can they understand the strategic pieces? I think another piece I would recommend is a cycle of feedback and collaboration on something. So it's like you, you they create something they, that's a doc or something, and then you something we found successful is like I, I'll go in and leave comments and suggestions of like, hey, I, I think this doesn't quite make sense. Can you think about reframing this or what does this actually mean? And look for how they respond to that. And if it, the response is like, oh yeah, okay, and a quick explanation in the comment that doesn't really solve the the dark problem, then it's like kind of, they're not really investing in it, or maybe they won't take feedback in the same way. So how do they, do they take that feedback and go beyond what, you know, to your intention, beyond just like the specific thing you asked? That feedback loop is important. And then I think someone who, you know, self states that this is what they care about in product, like, you know, they, they ask them what they care about and see if it matches what you care about in a product. And so see if that lines up. So I don't know, maybe those are th three things to, to think about, but I'm no way an expert on this, so I'm sure. I'll yeah, I think those are great, though. I think especially the, the strategic one is underrated because if you as the product-minded founder think one way and they either don't think about those things or you kind of don't align on those, that's a really big deal. Like, you know, when I was talking earlier about like Heaton, like he and I used to put, put a pot of pu'er on in the kitchen. 
multiple times a week. And a lot of what we would talk about was strategy. And that's the most important thing to a founder executive is like making sure strategically the company's heading the right direction. Like, yeah, there's the like, hey, are we marching? And like, are the day-to-day things getting done? But usually like there's a level of competence there that you'll solve that problem quickly. But the bigger picture thing is what the founders are always thinking about. And so if you can't align on the big picture stuff or you can't feel confident in them handling that part, that's a really big deal because you're like you talked about having the trust issue with your first PM. Like if you can't trust that they can execute on what what you're seeing and what you feel like needs to happen at a high level, like that's never going to go away. Like if that's the department that you're in charge of as, you know, dividing up responsibilities as a co-founder, that like that's always going to be there. And so, you know, there are other little things that you can train up. Like, I mean, when I started at Kissmetrics, I was pretty green in a lot of areas. Heaton had to introduce me to his network and connect me to people and teach me different things. But like we were aligned on strategy. We were aligned on being analytics driven. We were aligned on caring about the interface of the product. And that just solved so many other problems that then made smaller things easier to work on over time and just know that, oh, these things are going to get leveled up relatively quickly. It's not a big deal. But on the big things, we're in agreement. Yeah, and this like you know, think about what does strategy mean on a practical level? It's I think it comes down to like what is it that you're gonna build and what is it that you're not gonna build? And like can you like decide like or discuss like let's look at a product like X and why did they build this and why did they not build this other thing which another product Y has? So I think like discussing that, like to get on this set sense of like do they have a good content because that, I think it's one of the hardest things about product management roles to say no, or I would like to say not now. It doesn't have to be no, just not now. And can can you can you align on that? Are you a self-taught product manager? Do you feel like there's gaps in your skills holding you back? Are you comfortable teaching others how you do product management? The fact is no one learns product management in school. You have to learn by cobbling together resources, reading books and blog posts, seeking out mentors, and learning on the job through trial and error. I've been there. I was a self-taught PM too, and I was lucky to learn from some of the best product minds in Silicon Valley. Now I want to teach you everything I've learned. To do that, I've written blog posts, shared knowledge on these podcasts with great guests, and now I'm doing a limited number of coaching and consulting engagements. If you're looking to level up as a product leader and want to tune up you and your product team skills, then go to becustomerdriven.com and sign up for a free call to discuss your needs and how I may be able to help you. Again, go to becustomerdriven.com. So thinking about, again, the advice for founders thinking about hiring their first PM, what should they be thinking about whether it's actually the right time? Because for instance, like you talked about, you know, it sounds like looking back, maybe you feel like it wasn't the right time. Like if you had hired some other roles first, it might have set up a first PM for more success. So how how would you think about or how would you encourage another founder who's in charge of products to think about if it is really the right time to bring on that PM? So... I think I might have a controversial take on it, which is maybe delay it a little bit longer. And that's maybe based on my experience. It's like, can you solve this problem with your designer or with your QA person or with your someone that wants to step up from customer success? Potentially, can is anybody on the existing team interested in doing that job? Like people who are really familiar with your product, your market, and you've seen them close at hand. And that's a common pathway, right? Someone goes from, you know, one of these other roles, product marketing, QA, design, engineering into PM. So can you find it? So I think maybe consider delaying it a little bit more than you need by filling it with existing, you know, other roles. But yeah, typically I think it is at the point where, you know, you're, you're, you've got, you know, six plus engineers and 
one designer and you like you need to be like someone who's doing it day to day and you have to focus on something else it also depends on like how many founders there are if, i've seen teams where there's three founders and one founder can stay being a, a head of product for much longer and they can get to a team of 50 before they need a pm you know so i think it kind of depends a little bit on the context and then the last thing for for the founder side of things and we'll switch here to the uh what the first pm should be thinking about is how can the founder who's in charge of product, how can they set their product manager up for success? Like, how are you thinking about, especially this new hire that's going to be coming on board to your team as your second first PM? How are you thinking about setting them up for success? What should a founder, when they find that person, what should they be doing that will make it easier to have everybody start on the right foot? So I think the, the way that we're going to th- think about approaching this is having the PM do all the PM work for a subset of the product. It's a t- it's something we're going to test. So it's like almost like if there was two products or there was a product pod, there would be the PM for that a small pod. So they don't have to worry about all of the other stuff going on with all the other features and etc. But let's figure out what like what's to do. And it's a luckily for us, it's a new burgeoning product line or a new feature set that we haven't gone to market with. So I think that's where we're going to like start testing it. I think the other way, you know, that recommendation advice is to bring focus in some way. Like this is the way that we're bringing focus. You might bring focus in one other way, which is like all your job is in the first two months is to figure out user feedback and figure out like categorize user feedback and that's it. So, um, that I would recommend that. But I think if it's like a, Oh, come in and help us run product broadly, like that's like setting up, setting up for failure. It uh, certainly sets you up, uh, as I've seen personally, it really sets you up to chug from the fire hose, uh, which can be pretty hard. It's like you're trying to get on a moving train while while getting blasted by a fire hose. It's pretty hard, but but that is often what happens. So yeah, anything you can do there to make maybe that handoff a little more gradual, I think will definitely help. And I've personally seen, seen both the benefit of when that happens and the tumbling challenge you face getting your footing if you don't get that. So that, I think that's really great advice. So switching gears, thinking about then the advice you have maybe for PM. So thinking about, you know, the people you may be interviewing, people who are thinking like, I know a lot of people who will work at like a series B or late series A company, or maybe a series C company. Like, you know, I think I maybe would like to go earlier stage, or you have founders who, for whatever reason, are looking for a job instead of swimming in a pool of money like Scrooge McDuck. And so, you know, a lot of times founders can become product managers and they're very attracted to these first PM roles as well. And so I wanted to kind of take a step back and let's kind of flip the table here. What advice would you have maybe for PMs interviewing for a first PM role? Maybe first of all, what do you think are green flags that they should look for that like this is the right situation for them? I think a key green flag is product market fit in some way. Like the the founder should be able to get you to that point. Now it doesn't have to be like you're owning the market, but it, like ask the founders, like, where do you have product market fit? It might be like, oh, this feature set or this product line, or for this ICP, we have product market fit. And what's the evidence of that product market? What is the, what do the founders consider themselves saying, like feeling confident about that? So I think that's an important thing to figure out. And if they have product market fit somewhere that that's good, good. And, it, and, you know, and then figure out like, how do they get to that product market fit? Did they just stumble into it? Or did they do any kind of like thoughtful process to decide like, oh yeah, we should build this. We shouldn't build this. I think ask them about why they haven't built some stuff. And is it like, oh, because we just don't have capacity or is it like, actually we, we actively have taken some pain to not build something. Like we have that, we, we, we have actively decided not to build certain things that customers are asking for, but that some of the other competitors that are maybe a little bit more established are building because we need to tack differently. Like we're not going to win if we keep, keep just following what everyone else is doing. So 
have you know ha- do they have an opinion around like why they haven't built some stuff so yeah i think I, I don't know those are some of the things i would recommend i think generally i would recommend talking to other people getting references and you know almost interviewing the company as well not in a like combative way but just like hey look you should be assessing like hey is this a good fit for you and which you know try to make it really two way and have a conversation in the interview not the interviews that we think of go best are the ones where there's like a two way discussion it's like this is how we think about it what do you think and they they answer and then they ask us and we t- so it's like that's when you're really learning rather than it feeling like oh it's an exam and i have to like you know ask the other person all the questions absolutely yeah i think that's a very good point like can they articulate how they have product market fit and if they do because certainly if you're brought in and they don't have it figured out like it can be very easy for it to be this horrible combination of hey go figure this out but i have strong opinions without a lot of data to back it up on where you should go and so you're just you're fighting multiple uphill battles at that point so so i think that's a really good piece of advice to really ask them about kind of where they're at in the product market fit journey how honest they are about it and how aware they are of like what's working and not because that'll give you an idea of like hey are you coming into a company with like no analytics so they don't measure anything do they have paying customers or a bunch of pilots but they're not sure how they're going to turn out like knowing going in what you're signing up for i think is really really important in your first pm if you're going to become the first pm well, one of the things i think you could i can recommend folks asking is like what do the founders consider risks in the business being successful. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's something like our investors asked us when they were deliberating investing, they're like, what do you think the risks are? Like, wh- how can this turn out badly? What would happen in, in five years if this like it failed? Like what would have led it to be a failure? And so that's like, an interesting question to like help the founders think through and, and consider like, hey, what, where are the real, real risks? Like, oh, is the risk around product? Is it something else? So I think that's important to know for the company generally. Cool. No, that's great. And so flipping it, what are maybe red flags that they should look out for where they're where they're like, this is not the job I should take. I should avoid this first PM opportunity, even if in general, I think I want to be a first PM, I shouldn't be a first PM here. Yeah, I think like similar to the previous, like, let's make sure that you you avoid it being your job to find product market fit. Like that's doesn't need to be your job. Like let, that's the job of the founder. So now you may not have amazing product market fit everywhere. Like that's okay, but like it needs to be somewhere, some ba- you know, some basis around that. Other red flags, I think, like is the there's a personality piece to it. Like is the person going to be receptive to your feedback? So can you push back on something and see how they take that? Whether it's like you know, their opinion on something or whatever, and just be like, I, I'm not sure I agree. Like what you know, and see if they're curious and or if they're like, no, no, you have to listen to my perspective. I think that's really important to have a, a balanced relationship. Other red flags when uh, when looking for a job as a first PM, I was going to say is it the first first PM, <laughs> but I'm not sure that's yeah a, yeah yeah. I'm not sure well, that's I, I think actually that is a, that is a fair point, and I think it's one to understand because certainly if it is a second first PM situation, then you know that there's a lot of benefits and learning there, and it's I think. I would assume, Pulkit, if somebody asked you flat out in an interview for your role, like, hey, what did you guys learn from the first time around with the PM? Like, what's different for me if I'm here? Like, that kind of question, I think, should be fair game and will help you understand how the company maybe has grown and grown and evolved so that you know and you can be confident that even though it is technically a backfill role, which oftentimes in general, you know, people would advise you have to be careful about backfill roles. I think in this case, it's actually can be very bene- beneficial, much like your LinkedIn post that led to this interview kind of raised the positive spin of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, it doesn't have to be perfect first time round, but let's like figure out if the company learned from it. So yeah, I agree with that. Cool. So last question then, thinking about it, I think some of the people listening may actually be a first PM already. And so they may be in kind of a tough spot. And so 
if somebody listening to this is kind of in that awkward situation where they're like, mm, I'm already in here, but I, I, like, I, I feel like there's maybe some challenges, what would you recommend they do? Come talk to us about a job. <laughs> <laughs> I think having some mentors, product mentors is always really helpful, I think with any job. So can you orchestrate some mentorship for yourself from some people who've done it before, been there before in your space or a stage or two ahead? I think they will be able to give you the best contextual advice around how to navigate that specific situation. And I think there's some general stuff around like establishing baselines of like, this is what I'm going to focus on, or this is my priority, but think of your work as a Kanban as well. Like what is, what is it that I'm going to focus on and make sure that your priority, priorities are clear. But yeah, I think that probably the most generally useful advice is like to find a group of people that can you know, support you and under, you know, I've been there before. Cool. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd add is you mentioned it earlier is your first PM, they actually raised the concern to you, even though it sounds like you kind of saw some of the challenge as well. And so I think that's a reminder that it, I think it's okay to be proactive. If you're feeling it, they're probably feeling it too. And you might as well tackle the elephant in the room. I've certainly seen cases where tackling that elephant doesn't necessarily mean you're leaving the company. It can actually mean instead that it, you basically make your company aware of what you need to change or what support you need. And so maybe it's like, hey, I really need us to, ha like we have to prioritize hiring a tech lead because I'm getting killed doing too much project management and not enough product strategy. That is a solvable problem or, or you know, it can be a whole bunch of different things. But if you raise those elephants in the room, you might actually be able to do something about it. So it doesn't get to the point where the only conversation you're having is like, hey, this isn't working out dot, 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 here's your severance package. Instead, you might be able to actually tackle it head on. And certainly if you combine that with getting some perspective from your mentors and other people, they can help you kind of craft that conversation and understand what you should even ask for, because it's even better if you can say, hey, I see this problem we're both having and here's how I think we could solve it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's like not doom and gloom. You can solve these problems and adjust roles. And so I think there's a lot of optimism that if you tackle it, that you can solve it and have a really successful career as a first PM. Cool. Well, hey, Pulkit, this was a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you hopping on and talking very candidly about some of the lessons learned here. I hope people have learned a whole bunch. Where can people get in touch with you or learn more about you in this role that's open? Yeah, just check out chameleon.io forward slash jobs. We are hiring a bunch of roles. And otherwise, you can find me on LinkedIn and DM me or, or I'm pretty available. You can also email me pulkit, P-U-L-K-I-T at chameleon.io, chameleon spelt C-H-A-M-E-L-E-O-N.io. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Practical Podcast episode on the first, first PM and why that sometimes doesn't work out. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Bye for now.